Chapter Thirteen of the Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin by Benjamin Franklin. Chapter Thirteen: Public Service and Duties, 1749 to 1753. Peace being concluded and the association business therefore at an end i turned my thoughts again to the affair of establishing an academy the first step i took was to associate in the design a number of active friends of whom the junto furnished a good part the next was to write and publish a pamphlet entitled proposals relating to the education of youth in pennsylvania this i distributed among the principal inhabitants gratis and as soon as i could suppose their minds a little prepared by the perusal of it i set on foot a subscription for opening and supporting an academy it was to be paid in quotas yearly for five years by so dividing it i judged the subscription might be larger and i believe it was so amounting to no less if i remember right than five thousand pounds in the introduction to these proposals i stated their publication not as an act of mine but of some public spirited gentleman avoiding as much as i could according to my usual rule the presenting myself to the public as the author of any scheme for their benefit the subscribers to carry the project into immediate execution chose out of their number twenty-four trustees and appointed mr francis footnote tinch francis uncle of sir philip francis emigrated from england to maryland and became attorney for lord baltimore he removed to philadelphia and was attorney-general of pennsylvania from seventeen forty one to seventeen fifty five he died in philadelphia august sixteenth seventeen fifty eight smith End footnote. then attorney-general and myself to draw up constitutions for the government of the academy which being done and signed a house was hired masters engaged and the schools opened i think in the same year seventeen forty nine the scholars increasing fast the house was soon found too small and we were looking out for a piece of ground properly situated with intention to build when providence threw into our way a large house ready built which with a few alterations might well serve our purpose this was the building before mentioned erected by the hearers of mr whitefield and was obtained for us in the following manner it is to be noted that the contributions to this building being made by people of different sects care was taken in the nomination of trustees in whom the building and ground was to be vested that a predominancy should not be given to any sect lest in time that predominancy might be a means of appropriating the whole to the use of such sect contrary to the original intention it was therefore that one of each sect was appointed namely one church of england man one presbyterian one baptist one moravian etc those in case of vacancy by death were to fill it by election from among the contributors the moravian happened not to please his colleagues and on his death they resolved to have no other of that sect the difficulty then was how to avoid having two of some other sect by means of the new choice several persons were named and for that reason not agreed to 
at length one mentioned me with the observation that i was merely an honest man and of no sect at all which prevailed with them to choose me the enthusiasm which existed when the house was built had long since abated and its trustees had not been able to procure fresh contributions for paying the ground rent and discharging some other debts the building had occasioned which embarrassed them greatly being now a member of both sets of trustees that for the building and that for the academy i had a good opportunity of negotiating with both and brought them finally to an agreement by which the trustees for the building were to cede it to those of the academy the latter undertaking to discharge the debt to keep forever open in the building a large hall for occasional preachers according to the original intention and maintain a free school for the instruction of poor children writings were accordingly drawn and on paying the debts the trustees of the academy were put in possession of the premises and by dividing the great and lofty hall into stories and different rooms above and below for the several schools and purchasing some additional ground the whole was soon made fit for our purpose and the scholars removed into the building the care and trouble of agreeing with the workmen purchasing materials and superintending the work fell upon me and i went through it more cheerfully as it did not then interfere with my private business having the year before taking a very able industrious and honest partner mr david hall with whose character i was well acquainted as he had worked for me four years he took off my hands all care of the printing office paying me punctually my share of the profits the partnership continued eighteen years successfully for us both the trustees of the academy after a while were incorporated by a charter from the governor their funds were increased by contributions in britain and grants of land from the proprietaries to which the assembly has since made considerable addition and thus was established the present university of philadelphia footnote later called the university of pennsylvania and footnote i have been continued one of its trustees from the beginning now nearly forty years and have had the very great pleasure of seeing a number of the youth who have received their education in it distinguished by their improved abilities serviceable in public stations and ornaments to their country when i disengaged myself as above mentioned from private business i flattered myself that by the sufficient though moderate fortune i had acquired i had secured leisure during the rest of my life for philosophical studies and amusements i purchased all dr spence's apparatus who had come from england to lecture here and i proceeded in my electrical experiments with great alacrity but the public now considering me as a man of leisure laid hold of me for their purposes every part of our civil government and almost at the same time imposing some duty upon me the governor put me into the commission of the peace the corporation of the city chose me of the common council and soon after an alderman and the citizens of large chose me a burgess to represent them in assembly this latter station was the more agreeable to me as i was at length tired with sitting there to hear debates in which as clerk i could take no part 
and which were often so unentertaining that i was induced to amuse myself with making magic squares or circles or anything to avoid weariness and i conceived my becoming a member would enlarge my power of doing good i would not however insinuate that my ambition was not flattered by all these promotions it certainly was for considering my low beginning they were great things to me and they were still more pleasing as being so many spontaneous testimonies of the public good opinion and by me entirely unsolicited the office of justice of the peace i tried a little by attending a few courts and sitting on the bench to hear causes but finding that more knowledge of the common law than i possessed was necessary to act in that station with credit i gradually withdrew from it excusing myself by being obliged to attend the higher duties of a legislator in the assembly my election to this trust was repeated every year for ten years without my ever asking any elector for his vote or signifying either directly or indirectly any desire of being chosen on taking my seat in the house my son was appointed their clerk the following year a treaty being to be held with the indians at carlisle the governor sent a message to the house proposing that they should nominate some of their members to be joined with some members of council as commissioners for that purpose footnote see the votes to have this more correctly marge note and footnote the house named the speaker mr norris and myself and being commissioned we went to carlisle and met the indians accordingly as those people are extremely apt to get drunk and when so are very quarrelsome and disorderly we strictly forbade the selling any liquor to them and when they complained of this restriction we told them that if they would continue sober during the treaty we would give them plenty of rum when business was over they promised this and they kept their promise because they could get no liquor and the treaty was conducted very orderly and concluded to mutual satisfaction they then claimed and received the rum this was in the afternoon they were near one hundred men women and children and were lodged in temporary cabins built in the form of a square just without the town in the evening hearing a great noise among them the commissioners walked out to see what was the matter we found they had made a great bonfire in the middle of the square they were all drunk men and women quarrelling and fighting their dark-coloured bodies half naked seen only by the gloomy light of the bonfire running after and beating one another with firebrands accompanied by their horrid yellings formed a scene the most resembling our ideas of hell that could well be imagined there was no appeasing the tumult and we retired to our lodging at midnight a number of them came thundering at our door demanding more rum of which we took no notice the next day sensible they had misbehaved in giving us that disturbance they sent three of their old counsellors to make their apology the orator acknowledged the fault but laid it upon the rum and then endeavoured to excuse the rum by saying the great spirit who made all things made everything for some use and whatever use he designed anything for that use it should always be put to now when he made rum he said let this be for the indians to get drunk with and it must be so 
and indeed if it be the design of providence to extirpate these savages in order to make room for cultivators of the earth it seems not improbable that rome may be the appointed means it has already annihilated all the tribes who formerly inhabited the sea coast in seventeen fifty one dr thomas bond a particular friend of mine conceived the idea of establishing a hospital in philadelphia a very beneficent design which has been ascribed to me but was originally his for the reception and cure of poor sick persons whether inhabitants of the province or strangers he was zealous and active in endeavouring to procure subscriptions for it but the proposal being a novelty in america and at first not well understood he met but with small success at length he came to me with the compliment that he found there was no such thing as carrying a public-spirited project through without my being concerned in it for says he i am often asked by those to whom i propose subscribing have you consulted franklin upon this business and what does he think of it and when i tell them that i have not supposing it rather out of your line they do not subscribe but say they will consider of it i inquired into the nature and probable utility of his scheme and receiving from him a very satisfactory explanation i not only subscribed to it but engaged heartily in the design of procuring subscriptions from others previously however to the solicitation i endeavoured to prepare the minds of the people by writing on the subject in the newspapers which was my usual custom in such cases but which he had omitted the subscriptions afterwards were more free and generous but beginning to flag i saw they would be insufficient without some assistance from the assembly and therefore proposed to petition for it which was done the country members did not at first relish the project they objected that it could only be serviceable to the city and therefore the citizens alone should be at the expense of it and they doubted whether the citizens themselves generally approved of it my allegation on the contrary that it met with such approbation as to leave no doubt of our being able to raise two thousand pounds by voluntary donations they considered as a most extravagant supposition and utterly impossible on this i formed my plan and asking leave to bring in a bill for incorporating the contributors according to the prayer of their petition and granting them a blank sum of money which leave was obtained chiefly on the consideration that the house could throw the bill out if they did not like it i drew it so as to make the important clause a conditional one namely and be it enacted by the authority aforesaid that when the said contributors shall have met and chosen their managers and treasurer and shall have raised by their contributions a capital stock of value the yearly interest of which is to be applied to the accommodating of the sick poor in the said hospital free of charge for diet attendance advice and medicines and shall make the same appear to the satisfaction of the speaker of the assembly for the time being and then it shall and may be lawful for the said speaker and he is hereby required to sign an order on the provincial treasurer for the payment of two thousand pounds in two yearly payments to the treasurer of the said hospital to be applied to the founding building and finishing of the same this condition carried the bill through 
for the members who had opposed the grant and now conceived they might have the credit of being charitable without the expense agreed to its passage and then in soliciting subscriptions among the people we urged the conditional promise of the law as an additional motive to give since every man's donation would be doubled thus the clause worked both ways the subscriptions accordingly soon exceeded the requisite sum and we claimed and received the public gift which enabled us to carry the design into execution a convenient and handsome building was soon erected the institution has by constant experience been found useful and flourishes to this day and i do not remember any of my political manoeuvres the success of which gave me at the time more pleasure or wherein after thinking of it i more easily excused myself for having made some use of cunning it was about this time that another projector the rev gilbert tennant footnote gilbert tennant seventeen o three to seventeen sixty four came to america with his father rev william tennant and taught for a time in the lodge college from which sprang the college of new jersey smith in footnote came to me with a request that i would assist him in procuring a subscription for erecting a new meeting-house it was to be for the use of a congregation he had gathered among the presbyterians who were originally disciples of mr whitefield unwilling to make myself disagreeable to my fellow-citizens by too frequently soliciting their contributions i absolutely refused he then desired i would furnish him with a list of the names of persons i knew by experience to be generous and public-spirited i thought it would be unbecoming in me after their kind compliance with my solicitations to mark them out to be worried by other beggars and therefore refused also to give such a list he then desired i would at least give him my advice that i will readily do said i and in the first place i advise you to apply to all those whom you know will give something next to those whom you are uncertain whether they will give anything or not and show them the list of those who have given and lastly do not neglect those who you are sure will give nothing for in some of them you may be mistaken he laughed and thanked me and said he would take my advice he did so for he asked of everybody and he obtained a much larger sum than he expected with which he erected the capacious and very elegant meeting-house that stands in arch street our city though laid out with a beautiful regularity the streets large straight and crossing each other at right angles had the disgrace of suffering those streets to remain long unpaved and in wet weather the wheels of heavy carriages ploughed them into a quagmire so that it was difficult to cross them and in dry weather the dust was offensive i had lived near what was called the jersey market and saw with pain the inhabitants wading in mud while purchasing their provisions a strip of ground down the middle of that market was at length paved with brick so that being once in the market they had firm footing but were often over shoes and dirt to get there by talking and writing on the subject i was at length instrumental in getting the street paved with stone between the market and the bricked foot pavement that was on each side next the houses this for some time gave an easy access to the market dry shod but 
the rest of the street not being paved whenever a carriage came out of the mud upon this pavement it shook off and left its dirt upon it and it was soon covered with mire which was not removed the city is yet having no scavengers after some inquiry i found a poor industrious man who was willing to undertake keeping the pavement clean by sweeping it twice a week carrying off the dirt from before all the neighbors doors for the sum of sixpence per month to be paid by each house i then wrote and printed a paper setting forth the advantages to the neighborhood that might be obtained by this small expense the greater ease in keeping our houses clean so much dirt not being brought in by people's feet the benefit to the shops by more custom etc etc as buyers could more easily get at them and by not having in windy weather the dust blown in upon their goods etc etc i sent one of these papers to each house and in a day or two went round to see who would subscribe an agreement to pay these expenses it was unanimously signed and for a time well executed all the inhabitants of the city were delighted with the cleanliness of the pavement that surrounded the market it being a convenience to all and this raised a general desire to have all the streets paved and made the people more willing to submit to a tax for that purpose after some time i drew a bill for paving the city and brought it into the assembly it was just before i went to england in seventeen fifty seven and did not pass till i was gone footnote see votes in footnote and then with an alteration in the mode of assessment which i thought not for the better but with an additional provision for lighting as well as paving the streets which was a great improvement it was by a private person the late mr john clifton his giving a sample of the utility of lamps by placing one at his door that the people were first impressed with the idea of enlightening all the city the honor of this public benefit has also been ascribed to me but it belongs truly to that gentle man i did but follow his example and have only some merit to claim respecting the form of our lamps as differing from the globe lamps we were first supplied with from london those we found inconvenient in these respects they admitted no air below the smoke therefore did not readily go out above but circulated in the globe lodged on its inside and soon obstructed the light they were intended to afford giving besides the daily trouble of wiping them clean and an accidental stroke on one of them would demolish it and render it totally useless i therefore suggested the composing them of four flat panes with a long funnel above to draw up the smoke and crevices admitting air below to facilitate the ascent of the smoke by this means they were kept clean and did not grow dark in a few hours as the london lamps do but continued bright till morning and an accidental stroke would generally break but a single pane easily repaired i have sometimes wondered that the londoners did not from the effect holes in the bottom of the globe lamps used at fuchs hall have in keeping them clean footnote fuchs hall gardens once a popular and fashionable london resort situated on the thames above lambeth the gardens were closed in eighteen fifty nine but they will always be remembered because of sir roger d coverley's visit to them in the spectator and from the description in smollett's 
humphrey clinker and thackeray's vanity fair in footnote learned to have such holes in their street lamps but these holes being made for another purpose namely to communicate flame more suddenly to the wick by a little flax hanging down through them the other use of letting in air seems not to have been thought of and therefore after the lamps have been lit a few hours the streets of london are very poorly illuminated the mention of these improvements puts me in mind of one proposed when in london to dr fothergill who was among the best men i have known and a great promoter of useful projects i had observed that the streets when dry were never swept and the light dust carried away but it was suffered to accumulate till wet weather reduced it to mud and then after lying some days so deep on the pavement that there was no crossing it but in paths kept clean by poor people with brooms it was great labor raked together and thrown up into carts open above the sides of which suffered some of the slush at every jolt on the pavement to shake out and fall sometimes to the annoyance of foot passengers the reason given for not sweeping the dusty streets was that the dust would fly into the windows of shops and houses an accidental occurrence had instructed me how much sweeping might be done in a little time i found at my door in craven street footnote a short street near charing cross london End footnote. one morning a poor woman sweeping my pavement with a birch broom she appeared very pale and feeble as just come out of a fit of sickness i asked who employed her to sweep there she said nobody but i am very poor and in distress and i sweeps before gentle folks's doors and hopes they will give me something i bid her sweep the whole street clean and i would give her a shilling this was at nine o'clock at twelve she came for the shilling from the slowness i saw at first in her working i could scarce believe that the work was done so soon and sent my servant to examine it who reported that the whole street was swept perfectly clean and all the dust placed in the gutter which was in the middle and the next rain washed it quite away so that the pavement and even the kennel were perfectly clean i then judged that if that feeble woman could sweep such a street in three hours a strong active man might have done in half the time and here let me remark the convenience of having but one gutter in such a narrow street running down its middle instead of two one on each side near the footway for where all the rain that falls on a street runs from the sides and meets in the middle it forms there a current strong enough to wash away all the mud it meets with but when divided into two channels it is often too weak to cleanse either and only makes the mud it finds more fluid so that the wheels of carriages and feet of horses throw and dash it upon the foot pavement which is thereby rendered foul and slippery and sometimes splash it upon those who are walking my proposal communicated to the good doctor was as follows for the more effectual cleaning and keeping clean the streets of london and westminster it is proposed that the several watchmen be contracted with to have the dust swept up in dry seasons and the mud raked up at other times each in the several streets and lanes of his round that they be furnished with brooms and other proper instruments for these purposes to be kept at their respective stands 
ready to furnish the poor people they may employ in the service that in the dry summer months the dust be all swept up into heaps of proper distances before the shops and windows of houses are usually opened when the scavengers with clothes covered carts shall also carry it all away that the mud when raked up be not left in heaps to be spread abroad again by the wheels of carriages and trampling of horses but that the scavengers be provided with bodies of carts not placed high upon wheels but low upon sliders with lattice bottoms which being covered with straw will retain the mud thrown into them and permit the water to drain from it whereby it will become much lighter water making the greatest part of its weight these bodies of carts to be placed at convenient distances and the mud brought to them in wheelbarrows they remaining where placed till the mud is drained and then horses brought to draw them away i have since had doubts of the practicality of the latter part of this proposal on account of the narrowness of some streets and the difficulty of placing the draining sleds so as not to encumber too much the passage but i am still of opinion that the former requiring the dust to be swept up and carried away before the shops are open is very practicable in the summer when the days are long for in walking through the strand and fleet street one morning at seven o'clock i observed there was not one shop open though it had been daylight and the sun up above three hours the inhabitants of london choosing voluntarily to live much by candlelight and sleep by sunshine and yet often complain a little absurdly of the duty on candles and the high price of tallow some may think these trifling matters not worth minding or relating but when they consider that though dust blown into the eyes of a single person or into a single shop on a windy day is but of small importance yet the great number of the instances in a populous city and its frequent repetition give it weight and consequence perhaps they will not censure very severely those who bestow some attention to affairs of this seemingly low nature human felicity is produced not so much by great pieces of good fortune that seldom happen as by little advantages that occur every day thus if you teach a poor young man to shave himself and keep his razor in order you may contribute more to the happiness of his life than in giving him a thousand guineas the money may be soon spent the regret only remaining of having foolishly consumed it but in the other case he escapes the frequent vexation of waiting for barbers and of their sometimes dirty fingers offensive breaths and dull razors he shaves when most convenient to him and enjoys daily the pleasure of its being done with a good instrument with these sentiments i have hazarded the few preceding pages hoping they may afford hints which some time or other may be useful to a city i love having lived many years in it very happily and perhaps to some of our towns in america having been for some time employed by the postmaster-general of america as his comptroller in regulating several offices and bringing the officers to account i was upon his death in seventeen fifty three appointed jointly with mr william hunter to succeed him by a commission from the postmaster-general in england the american office never had hitherto paid anything to that of britain we were to have six hundred pounds a year between us 
if we could make that sum out of the profits of the office to do this a variety of improvements were necessary some of these were inevitably at first expensive so that in the first four years the office became above nine hundred pounds in debt to us but it soon after began to repay us and before i was displaced by a freak of the ministers of which i shall speak hereafter we had brought it to yield three times as much clear revenue to the crown as the post office of ireland since that imprudent transaction they have received from it not one farthing the business of the post office occasioned my taking a journey this year to new england where the college of cambridge of their own motion presented me with the degree of master of arts yale college in connecticut had before made me a similar compliment thus without studying in any college i came to partake of their honors they were conferred in consideration of my improvements and discoveries in the electric branch of natural philosophy End of chapter thirteen